Welcome to the Tabletop Sportcast with your host, James Cast. This podcast is dedicated to my favorite hobby, tabletop sports. I'll review games in my collection, discuss how I approach different projects, and even recap the latest games from my tabletop. If questions, thoughts, or feedback, feel free to reach me at tabletopsportcast at gmail.com or check out my Facebook page by the same name. This is episode 31, and I'm going to do a retrospective of my final foursome project using History Maker Golf by Play Games. But before we get to that, let's do a recap of the week that was on the tabletop. So for the past week, it's been kind of busy around the house, um, getting into the holiday season, and getting games on the tabletop wasn't the easiest thing to do. So... Here's a recap of some of the sports games. I did get a game of Aviatrix 37. I won't get into that too much, but that was what kicked off this week as I'm trying to get some other games on the tabletop again. I then pulled out Highlight. I hadn't played Highlight in quite a while. Um, I decided to try a new approach where I'm basically going to do more like a league format. And just wanted to test it out. So I did what I called night one. And it was basically um, what I did is I basically color coded, used the color codes for the original set of players from Highline. And this is one of the play now games. And made the teams based on those initial colors. So, and then I, so that gave me four players per team and I put those teams together and then you know you use eight players in a match so basically I had a team of four versus another team of four and I just alternated their spots so went through that and played about four or five games I think by the time I was done and um that so actually was six games total so I called that was one session I think the format will work it gets a nice quick game I don't have to worry about all the betting uh functions within the game, which is nice, but at the same time, wasn't really something I wanted to try to do right there. So played some highlight, uh, then also got some fast drive football in. I've been started my New York jets season from the 1990 season replay. And I got through weeks one through seven for the jets. Now they had had already played a few games. So I actually played weeks one, three, five, six, and seven. The Jets ended up beating Cincinnati in week one. Uh, They ended up uh, getting a narrow win over Buffalo. And Buffalo has really struggled so far in this season replay I've been doing. But the Jets got a narrow win there. The Jets then beat, uh, lost to Miami in week five and then lost to San Diego in week six. And then they played Buffalo again in week seven and lost to Buffalo. So the Jets... Probably pretty typical. Uh, they had actually won a couple of their earlier games against some of the lower teams that they had played. So they're off to an okay start. I think they're like four and three now uh, through seven weeks. Next, next up was History Maker Golf, and uh, we'll be talking more about that. But it was I, uh, the game of the week for my podcast this week, and that was my uh, match play final for this final foursome project. So we'll talk more about that in a little bit. And then yesterday got red, white, and blue racing on the table. 
it was it's my 1990s stars season and we got to the richmond international speedway john andretti after we had a couple of mishaps late and a couple of trouble events uh the race kept getting extended so because it couldn't end on a yellow and we finally we went two extra turns i believe and john andretti ended up taking the lead on the final turn and got the checkered flag so john andretti it's the only lap that he has led or the only turn he has led for the entire season so far but got it at the right moment so john andretti gets the win at richmond and that was the week so far i'm i've i had um second season on the table this morning i've made it through halftime of my opening game of my 1994 season replay with detroit with uh, the Detroit Lions facing the Atlanta Falcons. And right now Detroit is off to a, let's see, at halftime they are up 24 to 10. Barry Sanders uh, has carried the ball quite a few times already. They've had a lot of possessions, Detroit. And he did break one run for 33 yards, so had one of his signature runs already. And he's doing a pretty good job of just tracking up Tacking up the yards. I haven't totaled it up. Let's see. 10, 18, 22, 31, 33, 41, 43, 45, 53, 83, 86, 89. So 96 yards at halftime for Barry Sanders on about 13 carries. So great start for him. And that was the week that it was. So I'll finish the second season game today, and I'm still a little behind schedule. I'm trying to do some catch-up here, but again, I've got some time off at the end of December. I feel pretty good about getting caught up on my schedule. I was hoping to get caught up this week. I've played around a little strategically with some of the games that are due. For instance, I've got some Fury Hardball games to get in, and instead of doing like a one big session where I get like I have to do like basically 18 games uh, for group play. So instead, I think I'm going to try to get a group in during the week, taking little breaks at work, you know, during lunch. I can knock out like one or two games pretty easily. So I'll probably just try to get those 18 games in during the whole course of the week over the next two weeks of work. And that'll probably take care of those. And that'll leave my weekends for some other longer sessions like second season uh, to get those games in. All right, and that's the week that was. Uh, we have also kicked off a new cooperative event for that 1961 Continental League season that came out for History Maker Baseball from Play Games. And we, uh, even though we're going to officially kick it off in January, that cooperative event has kicked off. If anyone's interested in um, taking part, reach out to me. Uh, we've got some information posted on the Play Games channel. I'll be posting some information in my website, hopefully by the end of today. But yeah, that's underway. We're, we're allowing everyone to do an unofficial kickoff for it. So we're, anyone who wants to play in December is welcome to play some series, but we'll do our official kickoff in January. And we've got a decent group of guys. I think we're up to like 12 participants and our goal is to get an 84 game season played for the uh, eight teams. So it should be a pretty fun event. And hopefully that'll take us uh, at least a couple months to complete. I figure the goal right now is to try to be finished by April 1st. So we'll see how that works out. 
All right, let's switch gears and talk a little bit about History Maker Golf and this final foursome project that I just completed. So the final foursome project, uh, and we're going to do a retrospective. I'm going to talk a little bit about what went well in, for this project, what things didn't really go well, things that I might do differently for my next History Maker Golf project. So when I kicked off this project, I was looking for a small to medium-sized project that I could run using History Maker Golf. At the time, I only had one set. I had the 2,000 greats, which is the set of players that comes with the, with the game. And I had a couple of um, courses. I had ordered, at that point, two different uh, card um, course sets, or course collections, I think they call them in play. And... Of course, I had the two that came with the game, and I had one from the um, convention last year, the the Yellowstone course that they made for the convention in 2020. So I was trying to organize a short season. Instead of doing like, I think at that time, I so I had basically 11 courses, and I didn't really want to do a short season that way where it was a tournament. And there was a lot of golfers that I really just didn't have any interest in playing with. So what I did to kick off the project was I first sorted through the cards and just grabbed guys that I either knew and or wanted to play with, right? Because some of them I knew about, but I was like, eh, I don't really want to use that card. So I cut the list of golfers down quite a bit. And... I had played a few different exhibitions with History Maker Golf, and I didn't really want to do like the full tournament mode. Um, it's really good. I like the tournament mode. It is something I'm going to use in my next project. But for this project, I really didn't want to get into that because I really didn't want to do like just a regular season. I want to do something a little different. So what originally I wanted to strive for was what if I could just start setting like course records, you know, like established course records for all these different courses. So we'll, instead of doing like a full tournament to do that, why don't I just have a couple golfers on a course? And that turned into what if it was a foursome? What if you just had a foursome of professional golfers who went out and shot around on a particular course? And as I started to look at the number of golfers that I had siphoned off from the main list, I started to formulate this idea of making it more of a tournament. So just used a pretty basic tournament mode that I use a lot of times with smaller projects because it really sets up nicely for a manageable project and organized it so that each of the courses represented a different match in the tournament and basically made it into brackets. So um, I started with the initial foursome groups and I think I ended up with like 32 golfers. So my initial was one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. So I had eight, 32 golfers to start with. And I basically seeded them, snaked them through so that the 32 golfers were organized. So in um, match one, I had the number one golfer rated Tiger Woods, 16 and 17, Darren Clark and Lee Westwood, and number 32, Thomas Bjorn. That was going to be in the first course that we played. And then I just assigned them randomly like one of the courses. Um, that left me with three extra courses. Um, it, 
and I set those up as the playoff ones. So since then, I've purchased some more courses, but I decided not to use those for the tournament. Like I didn't substitute any in. Um, so what I basically did is I picked my three favorite courses, and those ended up being, I wouldn't say just my favorite, but yeah, probably close to my favorite. But I wanted to make sure they were also like um, highly respected courses too. So the finals was an easy one. It was going to be Augusta. I, you know, Champions Course comes with the game, so that ended up being the mat, the course that I was going to use for my final matchup. I had Long Island Public Black and Baltus Roll Farm Golf Club. I'm using the play games names for these courses. Those were the other two playoff ones, and then the other courses all ended up being part of the tournament schedule. So the winner of each foursome would advance to the next round. So I basically have matches one through four would form a new foursome for the first semifinal and matches five through eight would form a new foursome for the second semifinal. And then it ended up with a match play event at the end because I didn't think through this enough to figure out, like, why don't I finish with a foursome? So, like, in retrospect, one of the things that I was definitely going to think about changing if I decide to do this in the future is add additional people so that I can get, actually have four semifinals. This way, the final event would also be a match play. And, of course, four semifinals means 16, you know, opening round matches, and that means 64 golfers. So I probably would have doubled up on the golfers uh, to get to that number. Now, we're going to do a quick summary of the project. Um, basically, here's how it unfolded. Pretty much the favorites won most of the matches. The first course that I played at was the Play.Con. Uh, well, actually, it was the Play.Not.Con uh, tournament, which was the Yellowstone National Golf Club. That was where Tiger faltered. And Lee Westwood ended up getting an upset in our first match. But then Ernie Els, Vijay Singh, Phil Mickelson, Sergio Garcia, and Patrick Harrington, all favorites, all advanced over the next few. And then in the final two events, um, well, actually, I should say the seventh event at the Empire Oaks Country Club, Ian Poulter pulled off an upset. Retief Goosen faltered. So did David Tom. So Ian Poulter, who was the third seeded guy in that, foursome ended up advancing and then in the eighth match jim furick the favorite one so he mostly had favorites across the board uh lee westwood did not win his semifinal. that was phil mickelson who came out on top against vj singh ernie Els, and lee westwood and then sergio garcia beat out a few of the favorites beat out harrington furick and poulter so those two faced and that was the match that we just did mickelson ended up winning his in um the first playoff hole so it did go to a playoff hole they basically were even after 18 holes <clears throat> excuse me we did a match play event and mickelson ended up getting his birdie putt on the 19th hole garcia missed his birdie putt and that was it so overall it played out the way i expected most of the favorites won out um, most of the winning scores, like lee westwood won with a 67 in the first match l's Got a 70 in the second, Sang won with a 65. You know, like most of the matches ended up being decided with a person under par, which is what I was hoping for. I think the best score we had, looking through, 
Garcia had a 63 in his opening round. Poulter had a 63 in his opening round. So we had a couple of 63s out there. Um, yeah, that was pretty much the low score, I think, for the entire tournament was a couple of 63s. So it was really good. Um, now let's talk a little bit about History Maker Golf itself. So what I really like about History Maker Golf is the fact that it's not expecting, it doesn't feel just like a score generator. Um, I've played a lot of other golf simulators that basically were score generators. I'm thinking about things like Stroke Saver Golf, which I really enjoyed, but and it was easy to make courses for. But it didn't really give you a feel for like a shot by shot necessarily. And at the same time, History Maker Golf isn't so tedious that it is expecting you to go shot by shot. But what I found out is, especially when I was doing my match play and I was trying to record it in a way that allowed me to do a recap, like a full recap of the event. It really does give you a feel for how the player is playing the hole. And for example, they're going to pick certain shots and throughout the, the hole that are the critical shot. You know, did you have like a wayward drive and now the critical shot is your recovery, your approach shot? Did you have like a short drive on a par five and now your approach shot is going to be the critical one? Um, did you end up in the sand and, you know, on your tee from, for a par three? And now, like, can you make that sand save is the critical shot. Are you in the trees? You know, did you end up in the rough? Are you in the water? Like, it plays in all the hazards. It it figures out, like, how to play off, like, you know, as, as all, most of the History Maker games do. Like, it forces you to really think about uh, or use a lot of the different traits that the golfer might possess. And everything ends up being setting up different types of putts. And the, the putting chart then with the, you know, um, from anything from a gimme to a double difficult and even the clutch putts, you know, sets you up for how those golfers are going to respond once they get into the green. And, and what they did before that is going to set them up for hopefully something um either basic or, you know, force them to really lean in on one of their traits. So as you're playing history maker golf, what you get a feel for is how the player is playing generally. Like I remember in my final event, there was one point where it was, I think it was to finish the front nine, like Phil Mickelson ended up, rolling a six which is the control like on the white die it's the control die to determine like does the course control does the player control and a six usually means like the the golfer has the option of just playing it safe and saying i'm just going to play pretty safe and play for par and then they gain a blue chip which allows them to do something a little bit better later on but you know it forces them to think like yeah maybe it's a good idea to just settle for par here now they also have the chance of going for it, but early in a match, especially in a close match, you may not want to do that necessarily. So most of the time, like when I was doing my match play and it never got that 
bunch of a blowout. Like I think the worst that anybody was in is Mickelson after hole 10 was down three holes. So it was getting pretty dicey for him at that point. But before that, like he was down a couple holes, down one hole. He was, it was still close enough that both golfers were basically like, yeah, I'm going to play it safe when I have the opportunity to. So they, anytime they rolled that six for a control, they would just take the safe route and, and play for par. Uh, it did come up a couple times on like double cordial holes. And then that means that they can play it safe to, for like an easy birdie. Um, but then late, right? So then I got down to the 18th hole and I remember Garcia ended up rolling for a six for control. And I was, and I had decided, well, actually he had decided to, um, he had a chip going into the 18th hole. Right. So I ended up bypassing that and saying, no, let's let him take control of this. He wants to make sure he has a chance here. And he ended up setting himself up for tough birdie. Wasn't able to make it. So the, the match went to the playoff hole. Then on the playoff hole, Mickelson once again rolls a six for control, but instead of playing it safe, because you know, par's maybe not gonna do it, right? And I was kind of alternating back and forth where I went Mickelson led off the hole and Garcia played second. So Mickelson had to strategically think, like, okay, now is not the time to play it safe. Like we're in a playoff hole. So I had him go for it. And it set him up with a moderate birdie putt, and he was able to make that moderate putt. So now the pressure went on Garcia, who wasn't didn't have any chips left to play, had to like um, just play out the hole and ended up missing a birdie putt. And that's what decided it. But, you know, that control factor there and the fact that you can play it safe, like most of the time you're going to play that course out and you, that's how you're, they're going to say it. They're just going to say, you know, this hole is kind of tough and I don't want to take too many chances on it. So let me just kind of play it safe. Other times they're going to go for it and they're going to really take an aggressive approach towards the hole. And you have to really be careful with the player characteristics. Now, both Garcia and Mickelson both carry some really good ratings. So the chances of them going for it and succeeding are a lot better than maybe they are for some others. Um, and in Mickelson's case, like it actually did come down to like, was he a master? And he was. So he was able to take advantage of that going for it chart and, and set them up for itself for a, a decent birdie attempt. The putting is really interesting too, because Garcia, like the, the two players that I had in my final match there, Mickelson and Garcia are both so different in putting. Uh, Mickelson's a semi-gold while Garcia is a semi-rust. So they're on opposite ends of kind of like that bell curve when you think about it. And Mickelson ended up missing a couple of clutch putts, which was unexpected. And Garcia early on was making clutch putts, which also, again, unexpected. So that really played into the chip distribution a little bit there, too. Um, you know, and, and the chips is one of the things that I think I'm still really trying to figure out about the game. Um, based on, like, the way you're supposed to use the chips... I think I'm still trying to figure out like all the different ways that I can, I can spend chips. I'm looking it up right now to think about this. So as I kind of go through it here, like you can use a blue chip to gain control of a hole for a golfer, which I like to use. That's, I do like to use that more often than not. 
But if you're going to try to take control of a daunting hole, which is the ones you most want to take control of, you have to spend two chips. I had Mickelson do that at one point um, when he had three chips in that final round. I did have him spend two because he was down a couple holes, and I was like, he can't afford to let the daunting hole take control here. He's going to try to take control of the hole himself. Um. Sometimes you can use it to seed control of the hole, but most of the time I don't want to use my blue chips to seed control. I'd rather just, especially with the really good golfers, like I've been playing with the all-time greats or the 2000 greats. If I was playing like a regular season one, I might be inclined to use that more often. The um, changing the putt difficulty is definitely a place where I use the chips a lot as well. And there was a couple times where it just made sense to burn them and like maybe even like using a couple of chips to be able to do that if I hadn't used any on that hole because you can only use two chips per hole. So sometimes if you're building up a surplus, it's helpful to think about like changing the a hut, especially if there's like a, if I had like a moderate birdie putt. I might want to try to increase that to like easy just to double my chances of making that birdie putt, right? Now... The one that I don't use a lot that I probably need to start thinking about how I'd use it. I might have to do some testing of the strategy a little bit is like purchasing an automatic black die one or six. And I'm sure that there's a good advantage for doing that. I just haven't really thought about like where I would want to use that. So that's one that I really haven't used too much in my gameplay that I might have to think about like how that would be more effective for uh, chip usage. Now, the red chips are the ones that are going to cost you a little bit. Um, you know, seeding control of, of of the or seed control of the hole to the course. So you can use a red chip just to give it over to the course. And a lot of times I do use my red chips that way, especially if you have a hole that um, is going to give control to the course anyways on like a two, three, four or five. Or, or sometimes it's even one through five. And if that's the case, like, yes, like, let me burn a chip here because my chances of gaining control here anyways are pretty slim. So I'll just seek control and not even take that chance. Um, there's rare times that I might think about using it uh, to change a putt to make a putt more difficult. But the one case is probably on like a par putt if I had a gimme par putt and I could turn that to an easy, the only thing I'm really doing is saying instead of having to roll three sixes for a bad putt, I only have to roll two sixes for a bad putt. Uh, my chances are still really good, right? I really still have like 35 out of 36 of making that putt. So um, that's one that I will tend to use it for. I may not go any further down from that, though, because then you start really playing with fire. Um, and I wouldn't want to risk missing a putt necessarily. So rare that I would use it for that, but every now and again, I might change the difficulty of a putt that way. Now, I mentioned for this one, I didn't use tournament mode. The tournament mode, the, the really the only downside to the tournament mode is really that it's just going to add more time. But, you know, it doesn't end an extensive amount of time. Like if to do a full tournament mode, you're probably talking about 30 to 45 minutes to really play out the whole tournament mode, shuffling the cards, dealing them out, checking all the ratings and stuff. Um, 
but you're also completing up to four rounds more just to get a feel for like who's going to be left. And then usually you're left with fewer golfers in the end. Now I went really small scale, right? Like typically what you're going to be left with when you do a tournament is 12 golfers to compete with on that final round. And even with that, it, it tends to be less after a little while because some of them will struggle. And once they're at a little bit further out of contention, you just start doing quick rolls for them, right? So it's not a major hindrance. I went really small. That's why I said this was more like a small project, maybe medium just by the size, but it really was probably closer to small because I only went with four golfers each time. You know, so it's really quick to play like a foursome using History Maker Golf. Like I could finish a round with four golfers in probably about 30 to 45 minutes and it makes it manageable and fun um you know keeping scores easy because you're really just recording the final result for each hole so that's not that bad and but i did you know the reason i didn't want to use tournament mode this time was because i wanted to try something a little smaller i had some other bigger projects now for my next project i had purchased the all-time great set i'm going to use that i've purchased a couple more of the course collections as well so I think I'm going to have enough now to do like a 16 uh, course season. And I'm going to do full tournament mode for each of those courses. Because with this one, it's going to be the all-time greats. They're all really good, even though some are better than others. They're all really good. It'll be fun to play with any of the 12, you know, any of them that end up in the final 12 for the final day of the golfers that you're tracking to see how they perform. So I will be going tournament mode the next time around because I really do enjoy it. I like the way it plays out, um, but just didn't decide to use it for this particular um, project. So History Maker Golf, I think it it adds a lot to it's it's unlike most games that I've seen, and and I think what they were able to do with the different cam results and the different tables is really give you a feel for like, you know, and I say this all the time with the play games, but like if I'm watching a golf tournament on television, like this is the way it is. I don't see every single shot for the most part. What I see is some of the critical shots that the guys are making. And at the same time, that critical shot for that hole tells me a little bit about how they're playing out the hole. So let's read through like just a couple of examples results that you might get here, right? So I might get where the player is able to take control of the hole. And let's just do like a sample reading here from a par four. So if I was going to do a par four hole and let's just say I rolled like a one, four, five, it would ask me first for his wood shot, like my tee shot. Is he a duffer or is he gilded? There's a chance that he's going to make a bad drive. In this case, I would say, no, I don't have a guy who has that. Okay, well, he's going to take his iron shot then. is he, That tells me he made a decent drive. Not a tremendous drive, but he made a decent drive. He just basically made a decent drive. And then his approach shot with his iron takes a crazy bounce and it misses the green. And now I've got a flag result and the flag results usually have to deal with like your short game. So now I would roll again and let's say it would ask me like what kind of hands he has, which is basically 
talking about how he plays in the short game. Uh, let's say I roll the four. He's stone. Yes, he is. Okay, his wobbling shot goes astray to the outskirts of the green, and he's got a difficult putt for par. So now I roll for the par putt and see how he did. And difficult would be a difficult one to make, obviously. So he'd have a chance on, I think, um, one to three on a, a, a D6 roll. So I've got a full description now of how this golfer played this hole. He had a decent drive. He went a little wayward on his iron shot. He kind of flubbed his uh, approach shot from off the green, and now he's left himself with a difficult par putt. And then it would be, did he make it or didn't he make it, to fully describe how that hole was played. So I I only had to roll really I'm going to end up rolling dice three times. I'm going to roll the full set to see like how he played the hole initially. I'm going to roll again on the short game chart, and I'm going to roll one more time for his putt, possibly twice if he misses the putt. So, But it really does go quickly because most of the time, um, in fact, I wouldn't even roll for the short game now that I think about it because I'm really just using one of the die results for that. So I roll once for the hole, and then I roll again for the putt. And it moves really quickly then, um, especially with, again, one of the great design elements in these play games is like the idea of there's really no action sometimes. And that's what you get with that control die of six is sometimes it's just, okay, what do you want to do? Like, I'm just going to play it safe. Great. You just take your chip and record your score because you just played like a basic par on that coal and you're done. So. That's how the game works. I think it really works effectively. It's definitely moved up the list. It's, it's, it's again, my number one golf game, hands down. I won't probably play any other golf games at this point. Uh, and it gives me more than just like a score simulator. This is going to be a much more in-depth game without forcing me to feel like I have to play shot by shot to figure out every single play. I get a good feel for a golfer. Golfers are going to perform pretty close to how you would expect them to. And then every now and again, like I had with Tiger Woods in my opening one, a couple things are going to go sideways for the golfer and they're going to end up having a bad round. And that's possible for even what was easily the highest rated golfer of that 2000 greats set. He had a horrible day and he finished. I think he actually finished last in that run. He wasn't even like he was close and just got edged out by someone who had a great game. It was he blew it right he had a horrible round um let's see he ended up shooting in that opening round a 78 you know everybody else shot a uh a 67 a 71 and a 77 and he shot a 78 so he had a triple bogey on a sixth hole and a double bogey on a 17th and that was it right like woods had a bad day so that was all it took for him to be out of that tournament. He may have had a shot at winning it. Who knows? Uh, it ended up being Mickelson who took my final foursome tournament and ran with it. So great game. Uh, I was really happy with the project. I, I recommend doing a tournament style project to anybody who's trying to think of something to do with like history maker golf, but doesn't want to get really in depth with it. Like I think it's a nice smaller project to do. So um, do your tournament, do like a final force and do like a match play, like do two golfers on a course and just see how it plays out and just do a little tournament. And if you just want to grab a few golfers, it's, it's a nice, easy way to get a 
project in and, and feel like you can get something across the finish line pretty quickly. And that's important to do. If everything is this super large project, you're going to feel overwhelmed by all the different projects that you have going on. You can't do a full season replay every single time. Sometimes you just got to pick a smaller project and push that across the finish line. And that's one of the things I have to check myself on as I'm planning for 2022 and beyond is to start scaling some things back and give myself some opportunities to do these smaller type projects. All right, that is a wrap on episode 31. My game of the week next week is going to be a little bit of Fury Hardball. I'm going to feature some Fury Hardball and give a recap of a game, um, probably a full replay of a game. And then episode 32 is going to be my wish list. I'm going to take a look at some things um, in my gaming universe. Uh, maybe it's some games that I really wish I had, like sports games that I don't have that I wish I did, or something that I would love to see uh, for the existing games that I have in my collection. So that will be episode, our next week's episodes. My wish list as we start to wrap up the season one here. I'm going to wrap up season one of this podcast at the end of December and kick off season two in January and possibly some changes coming to it. But for the most part, it'll be the same podcast that I've been producing along the way. So thanks for listening. And we will look forward to having you listen in again next week. Thank you.